Hey team, it's Ando here. 2022 is a big year for Australian rugby, and we at Pick and Drive Rugby want to be in the thick of it, but we need your support. We want to attend post-match press conferences to ask your questions. We need more interviews with players and coaches to give you the insights that you want into the game they play in heaven. And we want better recording equipment to create a superior listening experience for you. If you like what we do, and let's be honest, even if you don't, please consider getting involved and sending us a tip. All donations will be put straight back into the podcast. We do this for love, not money, but every little bit counts. So please go to ko-fi.com slash pick and drive rugby. You can give us $1, you can give us 5 whatever is within your budget, we would be incredibly appreciative for. Thank you for your support. Let's get back to the pod. Wade Cooper, for the win, it's on its way, it's on its way, it's gone, Wade Cooper is the man. Hi there and welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, we're diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby, we're real, family friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh, yeah. I'm your host, Mitch. I'm joined by my co-host, Ando. Ando, how are you? I'm doing really, really well, mate. All the better for the results that came through this afternoon. Now, we've both been a little bit sick this week. I did get COVID, so I think I, I was hoping to be one of the last guys in New South Wales that did get COVID, but it has happened. So I've gotten through that bit in isolation all week, out tomorrow, which is good. Looking forward to getting out of <laughs> out of the house for the last seven or eight days. Um, you're also a little bit under the weather, so mate, we've had feeling. Um, my voice is pretty much gone, but aside from that, I'm all right. We um, so I'm a teacher, and we've had like influenza and something else just rip through the school. So I teach year twelve students. Um, I have a maximum of ten kids in my ancient history class, and three of them were at school on Friday. That's three rough. of them. That's really um, rough. And yeah, it was crazy. It was just real, like most of year 12 were off sick. Um, so yeah, mate, I'm going all right. And hopefully the kids my kids pull through and actually turn up to school tomorrow. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Well, um, in saying that, so we are here. We are ready to do the pod. We're going to say it early that we are going to try and keep this short, but there is a lot to talk through this evening. And so there's a we'll Waratahs see victory. How we go. It is a Waratahs <laughs> victory week, so that might put us into the four-hour mark. But no. Mate, I was chatting with um Steve Lenthal, big Brumbies fan, um, on Twitter just before, and I was like, oh, mate, got to go. About to record the pod. And he's like, make sure you set aside 20 minutes for Damon Murphy's disgraceful performance in addition to the 60-minute Waratahs win chat. So well, I'm we- glad he understands the priorities of our pod and how our time is distributed effectively. We, we do have... A lot of lot to get through in that regard. So um, before we dive into the content for this week, I do have a rugby-related question for you, Ando. Are you ready to mm-hmm. get into that? Mate, I'm ready. All right. Ready. So this week it was announced the Australia A program is officially up and running. They have announced some of the coaches and things. Uh, my question mm-hmm. to you is if you could put together a coaching team of three, so we'll do forwards coach, back coach, God. head coach for Australia yep. A from anywhere in the world, regardless of... Uh, current appointments, who would it be and why? Um, I'd have Stuart Lancaster in there somewhere because despite the fact that he didn't do well as a good head coach for England English rugby, he is a fantastic development coach and he's good as kind of like a 2IC. And I feel like an Australia A role would be fantastic for him. I think he had a similar role with the Brisbane, with the, um, the British, what's, what's the English second team called? 
the Saxons, um, I think. Saxons, yeah, what if, if that's the name. But um, he, he, he had a role there for a while and he was fantastic. So I think maybe Stuart Lancaster is either, yeah, probably the head coach. Um, and then what, attacks, um, backs so and forwards? forwards? And backs. Forwards and backs. Um, or attack and defense, if that's what you want to go with. Yeah, look, I think getting getting someone like a Rob Penny in there because he he was doing so well with the younger people with a Nawaratar setup. I feel like he's that kind of good mentor figure for the younger players. Okay. Um, and I hear that that's a strength of his, so I'd be considering him maybe as attack, maybe. But then Lord Laurie, Lord yeah, Laurie Fisher, think- you've got to get him in there, in there as the forwards coach. Uh, there's nobody else that um, is better in Australian rugby in particular. And because, I mean, let's be honest, most of the Wallabies are Brumbies players anyway. It just makes sense. That's a good call. That's a great call. If I'm going to quickly run through my three, I'll go with your one, Ando. That's a good call on uh, Laurie Fisher there for forwards coach. I'd say Simon Cron as head coach of Australia A. Mm. I know it's a bit mm. premature at the moment. He's only coming back next year for the Western Force, but... Uh, he's a coach to watch, and he does have ambitions in the uh, Australian rugby scene. So interesting to see how he goes once he's back. I'd put him in head coach uh, and maybe, or even, actually, no, maybe I'll shift him to backs coach, even though I think he is more of a forward coach, but he can work with Laurie Fisher and head coach. I'll go with Eddie Jones just to get him back <laughs> in Australian rugby, uh, get some of that IP that he has developed from all over the world over the last few years back in Australian rugby and developing our next wallabies for the future that's some good calls there mate well why don't i take us through our social platforms so if you are wanting to find us anywhere on the interwebs just basically type in pick and drive rugby and you'll find us twitter facebook instagram we're pretty active mostly on twitter um and facebook so get involved there now the other thing we just wanted to quickly mention is we have for a while had the opportunity for people to send in donations through coffee.com ko hyphen fi.com slash pick and drive rugby and we have been incredibly thankful for the generosity of our awesome listeners for everything that they've provided so far now our promise was that any money that comes in through that platform would go directly back into kind of the podcast and the community that we're trying to create bit by bit so we just wanted to let you know that we have purchased some um, trophies, which will be going out to uh, some of the fantasy participants in the fantasy competition and really importantly the winner of the tipping competition and that will be that competition is spicing up um the the top the top of the leaderboard is incredibly close which i'll go through in a moment so thank you for your donations and please consider chipping in to help out the pod um it would be very much appreciated so in regards to our yellow cap the yellow cap winners for this round and we're talking just the round first up we've got 10 versus reese on nine points for the round Tane C on 7.5, followed by my good mate Nug8 on 7.5. So well done. I'm sure you're going to talk <laughs> my ear off about it in the morning. So that's very good news. Well done. Um, now, when we talk about the full length of the competition, we still have Kirando in top spot on 90 overall. Killing it, mate. Killing it. He's killing it. Followed incredibly closely by Dan Mori on 89.75, and then 10 versus Reese on 88.58. So there's only a few rounds left, guys. Make sure that you keep pushing, making those good picks. Don't listen to what we say because we get it wrong most of the time. And we're very excited to send out the trophy, the emblazoned with your name and pick and drive fantasy winner, or not fantasy, um, Super Brew winner for 2022. So yeah, look, I I can't wait to see who comes out on top. 
And we now, do Mitch, have we do have the shield from last year as well. So we do have a shield we that we put yep. together last year for the fan, uh, the tipping comp winner. So mm-hmm. last year, Hair Red did take it out. So his name is on the shield for 2021. At this stage, still too early to say who's going to win it. Uh, but Kirando, Dan Mori, 10, v, 10 versus Rice or however Reese, we say 10 versus Reese. Yeah, 10 versus Reese, however we say that. Um, either of you three could be on there for 2022. It'll be exciting to see how we go. Very exciting. Well, mate, why don't you take us quickly through what we're going to talk about and then we'll jump on into the evening. Perfect, perfect. So we will start off with the game reviews. We have had some player signings announced this week, so we're not doing a full segment on spicy news. There has been a bit of news this week, but we're trying to keep things short. There's a lot to talk about on the rugby front. So we'll announce, we'll go through the signings quickly and then we'll dive into the reviews of the games for Super Rugby. We'll then enter the locker room and answer your questions. And uh, we've had a few this week, so it'll be good to, to get through that and hear what your thoughts are around some of the co- controversial decisions over the weekend. Exciting. Exciting. Let's, uh, let's get into it then, shall we? All right, let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we now move to round 14 of the Super Rugby Pacific competition. Before we actually dive into the round's results, we need to let you know, if you haven't heard already, that there are two incredible players who are going to be remaining in the nation's capital, and that is David Pocock, who has most likely got a seat in the Senate. How good is that news? <laughs> yeah, that's, that is very exciting, very exciting. Um <laughs> Big, big weekend for the Australian politic front. We probably won't dive too much into that. Oh, come and on. Try mate. and keep things <laughs> above board. And what is it? Don't talk about religion. Don't talk about politics. And what's the other one that you don't bring up at um, at dinner parties? Is um, that the main two? Anyway, regardless, uh, s- let's... Um... Consensual positions? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, on, on a serious front, um, Nick Frost has re-signed with the Brumbies after having been basically, I'm pretty sure he'd like signed a contract over um, with Japan and he's reneged on that after obviously some very um, rushed and hurried conversations with Rugby Australia and probably Dave Rennie. He's re-signed until 2025 and Nick White has committed until um, 2023. So that is fantastic news that both of those quality players are going to be sticking around. Who do you think is the biggest signing, Nick Frost or Nick White? I mean, they're both pretty uh, pivotal and definitely formative for the Brumbies. Uh, Nick White is the first choice scrum half at the moment for the Wallabies. So I think in the short term, Nick White is a massive boost, particularly for Rugby World Cup 2023, maybe even Lions 2025. Nick Frost is more of a development player, first inclusion in Wallabies camp for 2022. Uh, interesting to see if he can get some game time under Rennie this year. There, You would think that he might, considering that Rennie's gone out of his way to try and get him to recommit. And mm. from all reports, he had agreed to terms with, I think it was Panasonic Wild Knights. And yeah, he's I now so. found a backdoor out of that contract and he's staying in Australia and staying in, in, in Canberra with the Brumbies. So very exciting for them. He's a great player, great skill set, very... Uh, lots of talent there that can grow in the next few years. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Mate, let's jump into the first game from the weekend then, which was the Crusaders versus the Indrua in Christchurch Friday afternoon or evening at 5 p.m. And this was one-way traffic the entire entire game. 61-3 to was the final score. Crusaders dominating against an incredibly porous Fijian defense. This game was um, disappointing from the Indra on a bunch of fronts. 
I'm incredibly disappointed. I didn't have Fergus Burke in my fantasy team. He scored 21 points. He was he he's, he actually played incredibly well stepping in for Richie Mwanga. Oh, so really I thought I thought he was very very good. Um, look, what do you take away from this game, Mitch? I mean, the scoreline just says so much. Uh, what what do you take away from it? Yeah, it was one of those games where you expected the drawer to put in a bigger, better performance than the last few weeks. I mean, they're up against the Crusaders, and we know what the Crusaders are capable of. They took this opportunity to arrest some players. Probably not as uh, dicey decision uh, against the Drua like it was against the Waratahs a few weeks Drew ago. Drua at home, yeah. Um, in saying that, though, they still had Scott Barrett playing six, which we just haven't seen happen before um, for, for a long time. So very interesting that he, he, he was named at six, and I don't know if we'd come out of that game saying it was uh, a decision we might see again if not playing against Moana or, or the Drua. But overall... It was just, as you said before, one-way traffic. Uh, the drill were just sort of not really present in defense in a lot of areas. They were putting in hits, mm. um, individual hits, big hits every now and then, but it was sort of the follow-up play, being able to take that ball carry to ground and to, to grasp them and, and make sure that they were creating sort of set piece for um, the Crusaders trying to slow them down, which they just weren't doing, and the Crusaders get kept the ball alive, got the offload, and, and kept uh, kept the ball going. Look, it was yeah, this was one of those games that was just incredibly disappointing to see what Indra put forward because we know the quality that they have within the players, within their team, and we know the performances that they we we have belief about the performances that they could put out onto the park. Yeah, but just unfortunately, they were nowhere near as um. That they didn't perform to what we believe that they were capable of. So, look, to be honest, I really don't feel the need to talk much more about this game considering how one-sided it was. Uh, did you have any further talking points? Or are you okay to move on to Reds Moana? Yeah, it's just it's just disappointing to see the progression from the Drua team this year and, and the way they started Super Rugby Pacific and and developed into the games. They, they were a bit sloppy that first game against the Waratahs, but put in some really good performances, beat the... The Rebels early in the season and and put in some really good performances later on. Sixty one three is not a good indication of where they're at as a as a team. As an outsider, mm-hmm. you look at this score and think, "Geez, why why are these guys being included in this competition? This is just one way traffic." But so in some ways, it's really disappointing for from a, a Fijian perspective that they weren't able to to match it at that level and and really put in a little bit more defensive effort against the Crusaders. We know the Crusaders are so good at scoring points. But, yep. um, yeah, other than that, just disappointing. I know they, as a team, will not be happy with this performance. Next week, they, they play the Chiefs at home in the Toka. So they'll definitely be up for that one, and hopefully they can put in a bit more of a, a stronger performance um, against the Chiefs. Yep. And we got to remember, it's their first season. They've had a lot of travel. They've had a lot of challenges with their base being um, cut off by floods at different points earlier in the year. Like there's been a lot of disruption that they've experienced. And they've had some players Um, coming in and out. Even in this game, they had some players that were named uh, on Thursday night that were changed on game day. And then even on game day, when the team came out to play, there were some changes again. So Yeah, Drew Assisi stepped into fullback. Fullback, yeah. And he was only named as being part of the team two weeks ago. So, um, yeah. And I think he was even pulled in like the 45th, 50th minute as well. So um, don't know if there's a bit of sickness going through the team. That seems to be a bit of a trend across Super Rugby Pacific this this round. There yep. was a lot of yep. late changes with players coming in and out, uh, but definitely not the preparation that the injury would have liked. Um, yep. They would have, you would have thought they put in a, you would have hoped for a little bit more 
Um, but you know, moving forward, Agreed. I think this is one to just have happen, put it uh, to to the side, and focus on yep. next week and next yeah. year. Yeah, this is a pretend that game didn't happen. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on now to the Reds versus Moana Pacifica, where the Reds ran away, not ran away, sorry, came away, 34-22 victors on Friday night. And look, there was there was a lot to like about this game from both teams. Um, I think that one of the best parts of this game was Sean Maloney. Uh, at some point in the second half, I, I need to grab the clip of this. He said uh, Tava Tavanawai's name about eight times in maybe a two-minute period of time even when he didn't get the ball but he just cleared out from a ruck i think he just really <laughs> loves saying tava tava and it, well, it just, was just he just, just loves just the really bloke. he just loves him yeah. as a player regardless of what he's doing on the field he knows that uh the moana have structured their attacking play around him as a player and and even yep. when they were throwing the ball wide it would get to the centers and the centers would truck it up and Maloney's calling for, oh, get it to Tava Tava Nawai. He's such a good player. It's like, yeah, we get Johnny, we get that. But that didn't happen. It, Christian Leofano took the ball to the line here. <laughs> yep. Yep. So um, one of the really cool things about this game was just the quality of some of Moana Pacifica's attack. Like they had 30 defenders beaten throughout the game, um, which was really, really impressive and just demonstrated to me um, the danger that they do possess with ball in hand at various points throughout the match. Um, conversely, I thought that the Reds at times were fairly poor. Um, their set piece and their lineouts were really, really good in this match, but I just thought that at times their defensive, um, defensive integrity wasn't particularly effective, particularly later within the game. I'm not sure if I'm being too harsh on the Reds. I feel like I've been down on them the last few weeks. Um, but look, this they really should have won this game by much more. Yeah, it's one of those uh, situations where when you look at the Reds' season, where they're at and the potential that they had moved going into this Trans-Tasman competition, first first placed Australian team coming into it, they'd only lost one game against the Brumbies, really expecting them to really shake up the Kiwi opposition and, yeah. and put in some really strong performances. Some key players out with injury at certain times. Yeah, I think yeah. I saw a tweet from um, Michael Atkinson earlier this afternoon or, or last night after this game that um, out of the 24, out of a 24 man team that's named for the Queensland Reds, 10 of their first choice players are out with injury. Now that's massive. Like that, mm. that is that that's end of season stuff um, for a team like the Reds who don't have that next level of player to come through and, and fill that gap. And that's, yep. that, that's what we're starting to see. This game, we did have James O'Connor back. We had him back last week. Hunter Paisami back last week, not back this week, out with a, a little niggly injury. James O'Connor picks up another injury this week and potentially he's going to miss a, a, another week or two with that. So, so many changes coming in and out of the team. Suliasi Vunavalu as well, um, in and out, has 10 months on the sideline, is really only now starting to make a good run of games together and mm. starting to inject himself he had some really good involvements in this game, so we, we do need to talk him up as a player. Uh, but it, yep. and, and they've done enough to get the victory. So yep. all they were talking about post-game was how good it was to get a victory. I think this is four games in a row that they had lost. So yep. to get that victory on the board and to get that sort of monkey off the back, so to speak, was what all that they were really hoping for. <laughs> I think a big part of that as well, we need to remember, is that Henry Timmy Stowers' try on the 80th minute with the conversion. If that had not happened, then it's 
And so it's only in the 80th minute that Moana scores a try to kind of make the scoreboard a bit more respectable. So perhaps I'm being a bit harsh. And, but And the Queensland Reds do actually score a try themselves on full time. And if it wasn't for Sarah Uru playing basketball instead of rugby union. <laughs> hey, it a, was definitely forward, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yeah, it was. Um, that's a try to James, uh, to, I think it was Tate McDermott, wasn't it, at that point too? Yeah, and, so. and like some key injuries as well in, in that lineup as well. James, o, uh, James O'Connor comes off injured, like I said before, but... Um, Tate McDermott. I don't know why I'm getting those go two names yeah. confused Tate in my had head. To go to the wing. Finishes the game on wing. So yeah, panic stations. Yeah. So look, there's a few. There were a few really good performances. Um, Harry Wilson had a better game than he's had over the last. Well, he played last weekend and was off with concussion the previous games. Um, so he got into a bit more form this week. Jock Campbell has stepped up, I feel like, with a bit more of a run at 15. Uh, and the, keeping Jordan Pataro in the wing, in my mind, is um, a better fullback option because Jock Campbell is a better fullback than Jordan Pataro is currently. Um, and so if you want a better performance just consistently right now, you've got to be picking Jock at 15. And um, it was interesting and- as well that Dane, I don't know if you caught the pregame, but they were talking on stand with Dave Rennie and he yep. was really talking up Jock Campbell as a 15 option. The fact that he's matured there as a player in the last few years, that he has the a good boot and he's got a good kick um, on him as well. So the fact yep. that he was talking about him as a 15 option and liking what he's doing and seeing him as a potential option there, it was really promising. Interesting yeah. as well that when asked about Jordan Pattaya, he says, well, Geordie wants to play 15. So that's where I see him. Um, he's not playing 15 for the Reds at the moment. So yep. you've just spoken previously about how you think Jock Campbell's doing really well in that position. Yet at the same time, yep. you want Jordan Pattaya to be playing there. Two different 15s, from my opinion. Interesting mm. to see how you can get both of them game time um, yep. and which one is going to be the best option to choose against England in the next few weeks. Yeah, look, um, why don't we keep shifting on? Is that okay if we get into the Chiefs force game? Oh, we just need to mention um, Josh Fluke, was it, that went off with that shoulder injury? Oh, he dislocated his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. so that looked really painful. And we, we I've, I haven't heard today what the extent of that is, but he was immediately on that green whistle. So not uh, good signs for him. He came off in a lot of discomfort. So hopefully not a too, yeah. not too big an injury that puts him out because... As we have been talking about, that Australia A program is being reignited this year and Josh Fluke is a player that would probably fit into an Australia A yep. type program really, really well. Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think that he'd be perfect for it. Um, okay, well, yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Very good point. And, I mean, we got to remember how many players they have out with injury. Yeah. So any, any comment on maybe a lack of um, consistency or not performing to what we believe they should be, you're right with the depth of injury that they have it is fair enough that they've been struggling with form over the last I few mean, weeks, just, but great to see them get a win. And even on that positive side, like when you look at Moana, they're still a really good team. The, the talent they've got there, Christian Leofano, Sokopi Kepu, uh, Henry Taifu, like these guys have experience and test level experience as well. So to make them make the areas and uh, errors and come away with a 34-22 or even yep. potentially a 40-point win if you take if you can see that try at the end there, um, that's, a, that's a big thing for such a young injury hit Queensland Reds. One thing I want to quickly jump into actually before we move on. Do you remember that massive hit by Tavatavanawai on Tate McDermott who was coming across in cover and Tavatavanawai steps into the tackle up like with the ball steps in upright and shoulders Tate to the head? Yes. Yeah, and so that was really interesting because <coughs> the um 
Sorry, I'm about to cough from dying. Like the ramifications you're talking about around that being potentially a, an act of foul play for the ball carrier using yeah. or palming with an elbow or uh Yeah, or it's really forearm. interesting because, I mean, remember how... um how Samu Karevi with the leading forearm into it, like he was pinged within the World Cup for for that deliberate action. This was a deliberate step into the tackle by Tabatavanawa, right? Yeah. And so it was interesting in that there was a um account on Twitter, the Progressive Rugby account, which is really advocating to um step improve. Out yeah, but particularly in terms of high contact or head contact, player safety um, which, and things. Yeah, yep. player safety, which is fair enough. Yep, all good. They were speaking to how that was actually Tate McDermott's fault for coming in too high. <laughs> and I was like, uh, I totally disagree because Tavatavanawai changes his direction and angle at the last minute um, and is the one that initiates the contact as opposed to Tate McDermott initiating it. So I actually don't think McDermott's at fault within this situation. And if that had been pulled back for maybe a penalty or something like that, I, I could understand it. Mm. There's, a, there's another action that's very, very similar in the Hurricanes-Rebels game that we'll get to a little bit later where TJ Perinara makes a break down the sideline and I believe it's James Tuttle, his opposite nine, is coming in to defend him and he tries to palm him and in, in, the, way, in the replay that I've seen, James Tuttle sort of falls into it, which makes it look worse. But, uh, and I don't know where he actually connects or if he does connect, but he sort of flops his arm out to, to palm him off and ends up missing him. So his elbow comes flying up high and it's like this chicken wing that's gone straight over the top. Now, if he yeah. does connect with that, that's, a, that's an elbow straight to the head of the yep. defending player with the ball. And it's not looked at and it's carried on. And I think they score off it. But yeah, very similar ramifications we're talking about here about player welfare, the, the outcome that comes from a player that's coming into, a, into contact, doing everything right. If they're coming in, they're bent at the hips and they're going in low and they're copying uh, a, an elbow or a forearm from the player with the ball. Yep. Okay, let's move on um, because we've got a lot of games to go through. So the next match was Chiefs versus the Force. Chiefs at home coming away 54-21 victors in a pretty darn comprehensive victory. Quintipaya, 11th, 30th, and 46th minute hat-trick. So incredibly well done to him. Um, look, there were so many good moments here from the Chiefs as with their eight-try victory. Look, I, I've really struggled with the Western Force across this season. Um, I had high hopes for them at the start, but in the last month or so, particularly since the announcement that they were going to be getting Simon Cron coming in next year as a new head coach, they've just turned from average to poor. Mm. And it's really hard to kind of, find many positives within their game at the moment their their defense is fairly porous their attack is again fairly toothless um i'm i just really have not been impressed by much of what the western force have put out recently despite the fact that i want to see more from them as a team and i i, I want them to do well yeah we we did mention this last week and we were probably hoping for a bit of a improved performance this week against the chiefs Travel is always difficult for Australian teams, particularly the Western Force, considering that it takes three hours to get across to the East Coast <clears throat> before even going over to New Zealand. So you've got like a six to seven hour travel um, day involved there. But without, with that announcement that Simon Cron's coming in next year, Tim Sampson is seeing out the rest of his contract. It's had the same sort of effect that the Waratahs fell into last year when they sacked Rob Penny mid-season. 
that the team sort of hit this this roadblock and not really improved much since since that point. They've been going backwards in some regards as well. So some of the younger players that they they signed in the off season, uh, Bailey Kunzel, finds Liliawasa. Those guys have got game time, but I wouldn't say that they've improved their games drastically in the mm. in the way that they had improved their game at the Brumbies last year. And I wonder if that is just a a bit of an indication of a team that's sort of going through the motions and sort of has written off the rest of 2022. They're still, I mean, they're still mathematically in with a shot. They've still got two games to go. They've, they've got a game to play they this beat week Moana against Moana and Pacifica. They beat, who are they playing in the final week? Um, yeah, I can't remember. One of the points I just want to jump in there and say, mate, yep. um, I, th- I think this comes down a lot to kind of Benny Darwin's cohesion stuff um, and or the teamwork index where he basically says I mean, when it's really it? hard. It, when doesn't it? <laughs> it all comes back to that. Um, but no, genuinely, he speaks to very regularly about how players, when they join new teams, are coming into a new environment, new players around them, and it takes them a long time to adjust, which is why when we saw Rishon Pasatoa, Fanzo Iwasa, or Kunzu stepping in for their appearances at the Brumbies, they were able to slot more effortlessly into their existing team because they know the players inside and out of them, they know the calls, they know the structures, and under stress and under duress, they're automatically falling back into muscle memory that has been shaped by the players that they're playing inside of week in week out or at least training with week yeah. in week out so now they come into a new environment obviously they've had the full preseason they've been playing together for the whole season now um but they're having to play particularly for players like kunzel and pasatoa they're having to play 80 minutes almost every week when not injured and that's going to take a toll on young bodies as well um we look at harry wilson he hasn't been as consistent this season outside of injury as he was last year yeah yeah, and, and as you said, like they're coming into a new environment. They're not getting the opportunity to really learn the plays and the people around them without being forced into big minutes. And in some ways, they're carrying this team because they're in positions that are very crucial to the attack or the defense. They're not able to come in <clears throat> as, say, like a second rower and just do do their their game and focus on what they need to do, uh, get the line out, you know, push hard at the scrum, make your tackles when it comes to you. They're driving the back line. They're in key pivotal positions that if their game is a little bit off, the whole team's not performing well, which is a massive ask. Yeah, and look, um, I don't understand why over the last few weeks, Fleetie Katu hasn't been starting. Like he's your club captain. You've picked him as captain from the start and yet he is somebody that you're not backing and you're putting Andrew Reddy in ahead of him. Like Andrew Reddy sucks. Um, You know what? That's rude. I should take that back. I don't think Andrew Reddy is, is nearly anywhere as good a player as Sweetie Kaitu, and I don't see why he's starting over him. <laughs> Sorry, I've just had a massive coughing fit. So Yeah, me, um, me too, mate. You, me you're, too. Um, you're, you're carrying on there, so we'll just say whatever you – we'll just disregard what you just said there because I think you were trying to pad time until I got back on air. No, no, no. I was I was commenting about Andrew Reddy starting over Sweetie Kaitu and how I just don't understand that. But – I did make a um, well, I did make a comment on the draft rugby pod a few weeks ago that maybe they don't like the idea of Andrew Reddy coming on in the second half and giving away a yellow or red card and not having a backup option to come on and replace him. That must be it, mate. I think you've cracked the code there. <laughs> well, why don't we move on to what was um, look? Unfortunately, this hasn't been very positive so far. I think we should have talked up the Reds' victory more than I did. Sorry, Reds fans. Um, <laughs> I've just been a bit down on the Reds recently. I need to I need to cheer up a bit more. 
But the Hurricanes versus Rebels, Hurricanes at home versus Melbourne Rebels, 45 to 22. This was a really poor game in my mind from the Rebels. Lucas Ripley got a hat trick, really well done. 20th, 3rd, 50th, 77th minute. Um, I just thought that this Rebels team was really, really poor. They barely like were able to gain control of the match. Too many easy turnovers. Um, weak defense at different points. Uh, look, it wasn't I, it wasn't the Rebels team that showed up against the uh, the Chiefs last week, was it? No, um, it really wasn't. And the lack of consistency within their performances, like genuinely, as a Tars fan, I know what it likes to suck. So <laughs> I like I empathize Rebels fans, but the part that frustrates me is just not having that consistency of effort. And that's the thing. Like, I'm sure the players are genuinely trying, but you want to see at least growth in um, attacking structure or defensive set, um, defensive structure as well. To know that the players are working incredibly hard within a set structure that they trust. But there were just way too many times where players were shooting up out of the line, missed tackles, players were dropping off tackles. Um, it almost seemed to be like a mindset or a mentality issue as opposed to... Um, anything individually yeah well last week we saw a really strong uh baseline set by the forward pack some of the rob liota pone farmacilli matt phillip those guys were having a really good game being really physical with the chiefs forwards pack and and making some really big hits around the field we're kind of expecting that sort of baseline to to be their uh starting point this week and to carry through the rest of the season but it just wasn't there they didn't have that physicality this week like they were last week i don't know whether that's as much of the hurricanes doing their homework and seeing how they can isolate those players and really um create holes in the back line and and focus on that which is what they did or the rebels just didn't front up and weren't mentally switched on to be able to to perform at that same level week in week out it is a very young and experienced rebels team that we've spoken about in the last few weeks um, <clears throat> players coming in and out of this team, selections changing all the time. Matt Tamua came back this week. Didn't see him last week. Haven't seen him for a few weeks now. So um, the 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 centre pairing there changed around a little bit too. So I think, like we said previously in the um, Western Force, our Western Force review around the idea of cohesion and and continuity of selection, the Melbourne yep. Rebels have been chopping and changing so many times this season that they've never really been able to develop those bonds and uh, connections between players. Um, Off the top of my head, I can't remember. Definitely the last three or four weeks, we've had different players in key positions. That The um, the part that, look, is really indicative of that is the fact that you've taken the 2021, one of the best wingers of the entire competition and one of the best performers in the Wallabies jersey, Andrew Kellaway, and he's barely, barely been sighted on the wing and they've moved him into 13 where he's he's okay. He, he's serviceable at 13, but he's not doing anything particularly amazing. And it just shows that you've got such a good player like Andrew Kellaway that isn't getting quality service, isn't getting um, the opportunities to be linking effectively or being brought into the game really well. And he saw that a lot of the time with Marika Corombete where he would have to work so hard to get himself into games. Um, and he was able to do it just because he is a different breed of player. Well, he, almost there, there are very like, few players like him. Looking at the Rebels' performances this year, I think in some ways we uh, we don't value Corabetti as a player as much now. Like we go back and yep. see these we see these performances now 
and go back and say, geez, we didn't realize what we had back then. He's such a good player that can spark yeah. things from nothing that at the moment, yeah. this Rebels team is just really lacking. And and the, the sad part about it is, you look at their forward pack, it's actually a pretty decent forward pack. Like Matt Gibbon, Ulysses, Fal Masili, Philip, Liotta, Wells, Wilkin, Ioani. Like that's, that's a pretty decent forward pack. And the players that they're bringing off the bench aren't any slouches either with Hanson or Elof, Canham and Hardwick. Canham is probably the more unknown quality there. But the four of those five forwards that is picked out off the bench, they, they're good players. And so we're just looking at the fact that either through injury, through lack of selection, or in case of Ray Nuu, just sheer stupidity, um, they're just not able to have that continuity within the back line. Sheer stupidity. Oh, come on. He comes back after doing a head-high tackle and gets immediately red-carded for a second one. Yep. Like, dude, come on. Um, and so you're having to bring Lucas Ripley and Nick Juiced off the bench, and they're just younger, inexperienced players that you can't really get the same level of impact from. And I think, if although, you, in, although in saying that, Ripley got a hat trick this week, so what do I know? But, but when we look at the the opposition they're up against, you know, Mafaleo, Coles, O'Reilly, Lomax, Blackwell, Walker, Lowery, Gibson, like that's that's a very strong New Zealand uh, forward pack that <clears throat> yep. that such an inexperienced and young Rebels team is going to struggle against. Yep. Uh, we saw even in the Super Rugby AU portion of the competition, they struggled against the likes of the Waratahs and the Rebels. Uh, sorry, they are the Rebels, the Waratahs, the Force, uh, the yep. Brumbies and the Reds. Lost so. to the Drua. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. again, similar to the Western Force in a way, I think they're just looking forward to the end of the season and really having a good off-season and building towards 2023 as best they can. Yeah, and look, one of the stats that really kind of sums up this night from the Rebels is uh, defenders beaten, they beat 15 defenders. The Hurricanes beat 40 for um, the Rebels having an 80% tackle ratio, which at this level is just very, very poor. So they really need to be taking a look at themselves and um, kind of having that equivalent from kind of burn city love of Tartuff and making sure that they're doing those little micro actions, those little one percenters to in, in the best ways that they possibly can be tightening up those things that they can control and at least know that they've done everything they possibly can to come away with a win. Um, in this game, I, I just got to the end of the game and, and thought to myself, man, the Rebels sucked tonight. <laughs> they really that did. Was, they, they were just poor. Um, which is disappointing because, I mean, they're an Aussie team. We want Aussie teams to play well. We're Aussie rugby fans. Um, and it's just sad when you can't find much that is positive to talk about. Exactly. Um, exactly. What we might do is actually go ahead now to the Brumbies and Blues match because there is a lot that's positive to talk about in this game. There uh, is a lot. Thing a little bit more positive, which was the Brumbies game against the Blues down in GIO Stadium in Canberra on Saturday night. And despite the incredibly heartbreaking ending to this match where the Blues got a drop goal to Bowden Barrett in the final moments of the game. 81st minute. 81st minute. 21-19 victors. It was an incredible performance, amazing defensive effort from the Brumbies and lots to talk about. Now, Mitch, I've got a uh, box for you, ready <laughs> for you to stand upon. Um, before we get to that, though, how about this defensive performance from the Brumbies? Yeah, we look at the stats. Uh, 250 tackles to the Brumbies, 85% tackle percentage. So uh, 230 tackles completed of 250 attempted. 
<clears throat> when you shift across to the Blues, who had 102 tackles completed against 109. Like, they've made more than double the amount of tackles than the Blues have in this game. Absolutely mm. crazy, crazy statistics. And I think in terms of uh, one of the biggest... Actually, I'll leave that to an, uh, to another point later. I was going to talk about the penalty count, but we'll get to that. Um, we'll get there. We'll get there. Was there any other key points that you wanted to highlight in this game? Oh, look, I just think, um, much like Alan Alatoa, Al Alatoa was saying after the game, the Brumbies and their fans should be incredibly proud of the effort that the Brumbies put forward within this match. Um, there were some really controversial decisions which Damon Murphy made, which we'll touch on, which made the result really, really hard to take. Um, bit of they, sleep, bit of pill. They, they played incredibly well against a very good Blues team who brought the game to them and kept attacking their line. Weren't particularly poor in any way, but the Brumbies' defence was just immense. So there's a lot to be said on both sides. Um, well, I mean, if we, we just, we, like, back to that defensive effort, if we look at the mm. possession the territory, the Brumbies had 37% possession, 31% territory. So the Blues had yep. 63% possession, 69% territory. I think at the at halftime... The Brumbies were on or in, uh, sorry, the Blues were in the Brumbies 22 for like 13 or 14 minutes of just consistent, sustained pressure. Penalty yep. after penalty, scrum after scrum, down, down. I think the Brumbies got down to 13, 13 players. players. That 28 yep. minutes, they lose Falafanga for a little bit of stupidity. And then Darcy Swain in the 36th minute. They've got to be proud with the effort that they put in to keep the Blues out for so long. It yep. was inevitable they were going to score in that situation, though. Yeah, look, it was it was amazing effort. Um, there were even a couple of calls within that. Like when um, Darcy Swain went off, the next scrum, the Brumbies actually won that scrum, but it got called back supposedly for wheeling when it was actually just the Blues prop just couldn't handle the pressure that was coming through on that side. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's, there's a lot to be talking about from this. Um, but within that, I think also... You know what? No, we, we just have to talk about it, mate. We have to talk about the penalty count. Yep. So the penalty count within a match was 16 to 5. So 16 penalties conceded by the Brumbies to 5 conceded by the Blues. Uh, a good chunk of those, probably 6 or 7, happened within the 15, 20 minutes at the end of the first half um, when the Brumbies were just on their line defending their hearts out. And honestly, yeah, they, they gave away some penalties which were deserved. Um, and so there's a bunch of those. And I don't really have any major issue with the yellow cards that were given out to yep. the players either. Um, they, were, they were fair. Um, the yellow card to Darcy Swain was a team card mm -hmm. um, after repeated infringement. So that, that was fine. Um, the, the thing that I just found really troublesome and difficult, though, was there are multiple points throughout the game where it seemed to a biased Aussie supporter, Aussie rugby supporter, that... Damon Murphy made incorrect calls that seriously were detrimental to the Brumbies. Um, and there didn't seem to be the same um, opportunities where calls were made against the Blues. Now, I'm not accusing Murphy of being biased. Nope. I'm just saying the run of the green in some of the difficult and incorrect calls that I believe he made impacted the Brumbies more significantly than the Blues. Yeah. Now, we, we're Waratahs fans through and through here. I will say, as an Australian rugby fan, if there's one team in Australian rugby that I won't say I don't like is, is too hard a word, but if there's one team that I struggle to support, it's the Brumbies. For whatever reason. Don't know why. Probably because they're just so bloody good. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'll happily get behind the Reds, the Force, the Rebels. Was happy to get behind the Brumbies this this week, but I just wanted to throw it out there that I'm not a one-eyed Brumbies supporter in any way. Um, and I think from a, a little bit of impartiality in some ways, definitely an Australian rugby fan, as you said, Ando, but some of these calls were a bit baffling to me. Um, where do we start with it, Ando? Where, where do we... Where do we dissect? Do we dive into the big minutes and the big calls that just didn't go the way or do we focus first on some, just the little things that were happening? Um, touch on a couple of the little things yeah. and then I know we want to go into depth on the tackle on Nick White when he makes that break. So let's let's talk about a couple of the smaller points first. Yeah, so in, in just regards to the way the, refer- uh, the breakdown was refereed by Damon Murphy, we've spoken about it in the past about how referees get a picture in their head around how teams play um they have it's not uh i don't i don't want to call it a bias that new zealand teams are just known to be better than australian teams but they are realistically well, new I, zealand I, th- teams... I think it's bias is okay bias doesn't bias isn't inherently intentional or um saying that a, a ref is cheating or anything exactly. like that a bias i'm not, can I'm not just saying i'm not bias. saying that it yeah. is a bias against uh, a bias for new zealand teams but Referees come into games with a picture in their head that says, from the way that I have seen these two teams play this season, the Brumbies give away more penalties in their 22. The Reds, uh, the Blues are better at set piece, say. That's what the referee thinks and has thought about and has prepared in his approach to the game. There were instances in this game where Damon Murphy was very intently managing and refereeing the breakdown when the Brumbies had the ball. Or sorry, when the Blues had the ball and the Brumbies were in defense and pinging them for for all kinds of things, incorrect entry, off your feet, going at the ball for too long, like hands when he's called hands away, um, all kinds of things. And then when the Blues had the, um, when the Brummies had the balls and the Blues were in defense, it's sort of like he switched off and he just wasn't pinging them for the same things. Yeah. Uh, it, there was a number of times where the Blues were coming in from the side, sealing the ball off, going to ground, just absolutely intentionally slowing the ball down. Uh, and they were allowed to do it. There was no advantages called. There was no ways for them to get out of... There was no calls for them to sort of get out of the way. There were certain times when the Blues had the ball that it felt like Damon Murphy as referee was coaching them in ways to not give away a penalty. He'd say 7-7 stop or 7 roll or this way. When it came to the Brumbies, he'd immediately call a penalty for the same thing. He wouldn't give them the sort of instruction of 6, you're off your feet, get out of there now or six roll, he just be like, advantage, six isn't rolling. One of the one of the key points I noticed tonight actually with the um, Waratahs game where Nick Berry was refereeing is a bunch of the times the scrum actually collapsed, but the ball was available at the back. Yeah. And he just let he just let the said, use it, use it, and the game just continued on. Whereas if you look at the scrum stats within this match, the Brumbies won three of their five scrums for 60%, and the Blues won 10 of their 17 for 58% success that just points to an absolute schmozzle um where you're just going, it, it sort of presents oh, a picture where teams are not are not using the scrum as a as a attacking. restart they're using yeah, it as a method correct. of gaining points or gaining penalties yeah yep. and to mm. me i just wish that um through whatever means even if having to pull both sets of props over and both sides and just go stop being naughty little boys and let's play a game of rugby here yep. um and just or just saying okay balls available use it use it stop calling for the reset stop calling for um a penalty either way just just use the ball and that as a final point before we maybe move on to the big some of some of the yep. bigger points um 
there were at least three times within the first half when I was watching this game where Damon Murphy just straight out pings a Brumbies player for not rolling away when he's getting pinged in there and he's making the movement to roll away. And I just thought, mate, you just got to like, there's a flow to the game of rugby. Well, that's that that, people that's, like, that's yeah. that point I was just touching on where it's like, it's coaching the players out of a penalty situation where it says six roll there. And so six tries to get out of there and can't. And a lot of the times what I've seen with other referees is he'll say that player, get out of the way. The player will do everything they can to. And then the so oftentimes the, the team with the ball will say, oh, he's, he's not out of the way. Him. And it's like, you're holding him in there. And it's yep. fine. The ball's there. Play on. Whereas yep. Damon's just immediately called a penalty or an advantage for the fact that that player's yeah, not Yeah, on a few he's times. Not, he's not yeah. given him that opportunity to get out of the way. All right, let's stop our whinging and let's get into the stuff that we've got clear evidence for and wanting to dive into the rules a little bit. And this is focusing specifically upon that moment where Nick White makes a break. What minute of the game was this? Good question. Um, Good question. Should have noticed this one. Yeah, uh, but it was late, the, late in the match. Early um, in the, like 50th, 55 <clears throat> minute, I want to say. Yeah, around about that. So Nick White makes a break. He gets hauled down by Roger Tuivasa-Shek, RTS. Yep. Um, and he gets hauled down from behind and um, Tuivasa-Shek with his right hand reaches over, kind of grabs at the shoulder slash neck region, kind of like where the shoulder obviously meets the neck. Yep. and hauls him down from behind because he's chasing after him to stop the break. Yep. Um, and basically it's the equivalent of like a rear seatbelt tackle, um, yep. which is what they used to describe um, kind of coming across and just... Yeah, so he's dived after Nick White, who's ahead of him, has beaten him through the the contact and is Nick White is closest to the try line. Roger Tulvasashek yep. has dived as a last-ditch effort to make the tackle. Nick White being such a short bloke, he's ended up grabbing him on the shoulder and he's held onto his collar and it's shoulder contact. and neck it's not even sh- it's not outer shoulder it's like the point where the shoulder meets the neck so you could easily yeah so like the, the co- he's yep. re- he's holding his co- the jersey collar um and then rides that contact pulls him off balance and then rides him into the tackle so the yep. referee calls a penalty for a high tackle and that's Correct. it and yep. so this is the area that i want to look at the process behind this, the foul play, the rules and the laws and how they're, they're written and how I, I feel like, I'm just going to preface this, I, I feel like there's two there's two big uh, situations that happen in this game. This is one of them. The other one is the final play of the game. I've made that very well known on Twitter with a tweet that I sent out. So if you're interested in that one, go have a look. A lot yep. of discussion around that. Uh, but I feel like if these instances happened reversed, if it was an Australian team that had made this decision, the process would have been handled differently. We've just yeah. seen that these two situations handled differently for New Zealand teams than they have for Australian teams. So what happens here is Nick White has made a break. He's traveling towards the try line. When he gets tackled, he's probably a meter from, he's probably six meters out where he goes to ground, <clears throat> but he has no player in front of him. He's four meters, say to the right of the posts uh, when he goes to ground and the referee calls penalty for high contact. Now, in the rule book, or in the law book, sorry, um, under law 9, foul play, 9.13, a player must not tackle an opponent early, late, or dangerously. Dangerous tackle includes, but is not limited to, tackling or attempting to tackle an opponent above the line of the shoulders, even if the tackle starts below the line of the shoulders. So, in that definition, is this a high tackle? 
Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. It's yep. clearly above the shoulders. He drags him down to the ground from that high point. At no point does he try to actually ride the contact lower. So we and, can all agree. And Damon calls him as calls it as that. It exactly. is it's given as a penalty. So yeah, we can all agree that yep, that's one hundred percent a foul play, dangerous tackle. So the next point is scoring law eight and law eight point three, which is around penalty tries. A penalty try is awarded between the goalposts if foul play by the opposing team prevents a probable try from being scored or scored in a more advantageous position. A player guilty of this must be cautioned and temporarily suspended or sent off. No conversion is attempted. So my question or my, uh, what's the word? My Your assertion. Your assertion opinion. that there's an active foul play that has stopped Nick White scoring a try. Had Roger Tuovasashek not tackled him, would Nick White have scored that try? I would say 95%. Yes, he would have. Most likely, yes. Most likely. Now, they're not saying a certain try. They're saying a probable try. It comes down to the, the wording of the law. Is it a probable try if RTS does not make that tackle? Yes. I have seen some people say that uh, Perifeta was close and would have stopped him had he not made that tackle. But Perifeta only catches up with Nick White once he's gone to ground. Slowed down after the tackle, yeah. That's yeah. right. So my question is, why was this not adjudicated in that way? Why did the TMO not get involved and say, Nick White has clearly been taken out from an act of foul play? Do we need to look at whether he was going was in a probable position to score that try? Um, yes or no? So Damon Murphy's made the call. No one has questioned it. Not, no AR, no TMO. Under the TMO law, uh, laws, they're allowed to step in uh, with an act of foul play has occurred. So I, I, I'm saying that I would have liked to have seen RTS uh, given a yellow card for stopping that through an act of foul play and a penalty try be awarded. If we look at a situation that happens most games uh, in a mall situation, if a team attacking team has a mall on the five meter line from a line out, <clears throat> the defending team through an act of foul play collapses that mall and stops a try being scored. Most of the time, probably 95% of the time, um, a penalty try is awarded in a yellow card to the player who's collapsed the mall because they've stopped the act of scoring through an act of foul play. It's exactly the same in this situation. And it's just questionable as to why the process wasn't followed in the same way. Completely agree. And now this isn't going to be the deciding factor within the game because it happened roughly around the 50th minute, something like that. Yep. Um, so there's still a lot of water to go under the bridge, but it is just a very, this is like a concrete example in my mind of an error. And okay, maybe I shouldn't say it's concrete. This is a very, um, I, I believe this is an area where Damon Murphy got it wrong. And it should have been awarded in a Brumby's favour as a penalty try. And it was just a mistake of process that didn't enable this to happen. Well, the thing is that he's awarded a penalty for foul play. So he's deemed that the tackle was high and it was, exactly. Exactly. It was a penalty. Yep. Yep. So why does he then not take that next step and think, okay, well, no one was in front of Nick White. Would he have scored that try? I don't know. Yep. Why mm -hmm. did no AR say anything? Why did no TMO? Why did the TMO yeah. not get in and say... Uh, why doesn't the AR say something like... Um, are we considering a penalty try for this incident? And we like, didn't see that. I mean, I don't know if yep. we didn't hear maybe it. Maybe that happened. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it happened. We've got uh, Angus Gardner on one on one sideline, and I don't know who the other touchy was this game. 
Uh, and that's one of the things that I've seen commented in reflection of these decisions was why is Angus Gardner running the line when he's probably one of the best or better referees in Australian rugby at the moment? And why is he not out there refing? Mm. Well, mm. his job and he's, he is a, he is still able to step in and, and throw his thought process in this decision. Yeah. And we didn't yep. see anything from Angus either. Now, why don't we move on to the final minutes of the game now that we've kind of um, spoken about that point at some length because it was a really, really tight finish to the match um, with Billy Pollard's try and the subsequent conversion in the 79th minute by Noah Lulisiu giving them a 19 to, what was it, 19 to 18 point lead. Um, so they went into the final minute of the match. Um, the Brumbies received the ball. They start to bring it to the near side of the field. They're they picking go and driving it slowly up three, the field. Three picks and drives, just winding down the last minute, which is understandable. Um, in retrospect, you go, why didn't you just kick it away and trust your defense? Well, for the reasons we'll talk to you in a sec, you don't. Um, <laughs> but they, I think it was Papali'i who manages to get in and steal the ball away after about the third or fourth. It was one of the props, drive. I think, actually. I don't, I don't it, know who... Okay. I don't know who actually, and it, it was difficult because the camera angle was panning on. Yeah, the camera angle changes exactly as this moment happens. Yeah, it, it pans. And that's why that's one of the reasons that it's not being talked about widely on Twitter because no one can actually go back and review it properly. Yeah. But See, it pans, my... it sort of zooms in on Ryan Lonigan at the base of the ruck because he sort of goes to run it right. But then I think uh, Darcy Swain picks and, picks and goes himself, gets tackled. And next thing we know, the Blues have their hands on the ball. And so yeah. it's never really seen as to how they got their hands on the ball. It it looked when when I was having a look at it, um, because I had an opinion that um, that the the ruck had already formed when the player the Blues player went in to try and get it. And looking at it again from my bias perspective, um, I am of the opinion the ruck had already formed, so he shouldn't have been using his hands to play at the ball anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's just me being an Aussie rugby supporter. Um, but then as the ball goes wide, there's a couple of interplays and. I was pretty sure there was a knock-on in a build-up <laughs> play for this um, drop goal. I don't know. Do you in, the, in the phases Do you leading up to the, yeah, in the, the phases drop goal. leading up to it. I've got to say, I've actually blacked out everything from the point of <laughs> when they turned over the ball to that last breakdown because I was so intently focused on that last breakdown. Yeah. So okay, what well, happens in that last breakdown, breakdown is one of the Blues players has the ball and goes to ground and a Brumbies player comes over the top. I think from memory it's... It's Sapsford. number 23, Ollie Sapsford. Yeah, so he yeah. he sort of shimmies himself around the ruck and there's some images going around of him before he actually enters the ruck of him standing sideways. And a lot of people are saying that he was offside and so it shouldn't have counted anyway. But he shimmies himself around and the freeze frame that I've shared on Twitter, his butt is facing the try line. So if he's come in from the side, how could his butt be facing the try line? Um, yep. In that situation, so quickly, like it, it wouldn't make sense. He'd become, he'd be at an angle. His butt would be facing the sideline if, if he had entered from the side of the ruck. Anyway, he comes through. Uh, the tackle is made. He's the first player there. He arrives before any Blues players arrive, so he he's beaten the breakdown. He's the jackal yep. player. He's yep. on his feet. He's over the top. Now Dalton Papali'i comes in as the. Clearing player. Yeah, sort of as like the clearing player to help drive the player to ground. And he goes off his feet, which is uh, in the the new rules in 2022. If a player pre-binds on, they need to stay on their feet. So he could be picked yep. for that. 
He goes yeah. off his feet and he's lying on top of the ball, the ball carrier, stealing off the ball. Yeah. Uh, Ollie yeah. Stafford yeah. comes over the top. He's on his feet. He's allowed to go for the breakdown because he's the jackal. There's no Blues players there to clear him out, so he's allowed access to the ball. He gets mm. his hands on the ball. He has about two pumps over the top of Papali, who, who's clearly lying on top of it and making it difficult for him to get the ball. Mm. Then uh, I want to say that it's Hoskins Satutu, I think it is, that comes in to clear him out. He gets there. At that point, when Hoskins gets there, Damon Murphy starts yelling off, 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 and he lets go. The ball comes out. He plays advantage. It gets thrown out the back to uh, to Bowden Barrett, who, who drops the field goal, yep. wins the yep. game. Now, my yep. question is, as the player, and this is what I was sending out in my tweet, a lot of people have mm. sort of misinterpreted what I was saying. Um, I understand what Damon Murphy has, how he has refereed that breakdown. He doesn't think that Sapsford has won the breakdown, has won the jackal. My question was, what else can you do to show the referee in that situation that you have beaten the jackal that you have won that breakdown and you have rights to the ball. He's on his feet. Yep. From the screenshot that I've shown, there's actually a gap yep. between his knees and the player on the ground. Therefore, he's supporting his weight because mm. how else mm. is he standing there? <clears throat> and he's got his hands on the ball. So if he's yep. there over the top before the defenders have arrived to clear him out, he deserves access to the ball. Should it not be a penalty for not releasing? If the Blues players release the ball, he pulls it up. It's a turnover. The Brummies win the game. And look, just very, very clearly, I've looked at that back again as you've been going through it, and you cannot argue that Papali'i doesn't seal it off and go off his feet. Like, he he very clearly goes off his feet. Um, and it kind of is, it's even more frustrating because that was an area that they were incredibly strict about at the start of the season. And so it's just something to consider that we we have these um, imperatives from um, Sanzara, World Rugby, about areas that the officials are going to be targeting to try and clear up. And then in just a key moment of the game, a very blatant, blatant example of it isn't picked up, which results in the game being lost by the Brumbies. Well, the frustration too is the way that Damon has refereed that breakdown. So he gets there at the same time as the Blues players come in to clear out Sapsford and he <clears throat> has called for him to release the ball, which he's actually done, but he still played advantage and said that he didn't have access to the ball. He's, he said off, 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 then he's played advantage for not releasing. <clears throat> but he's over the top. He has every right to go for the ball. Now, my frustration with this is that there's an imperative decision, a split-second decision there that goes, it's an Australian player. Why is he, like, he hasn't rewarded the jackal there. He's chosen to stick with the Blues and yeah. give that penalty advantage to the Blues who throw yeah. it out wide, kick the penalty, uh, kick the field goal. If Bowden misses, they get a penalty from in front anyway. I guarantee if that situation was reversed and there was a New Zealand player over the top of a breakdown, which we've seen 95% of the time, he rewards that. It's Look, almost I'm like... Gonna, I'm going to jump in here and just say, mate, I'm going to put a hole directly in your theory here and I'm going to enjoy this. Um, Ollie Saps Ollie Saps was a Kiwi. Um, so it is a Kiwi player that's over the ball, <laughs> but I get the point that you're making. I fully get the point. Sorry, but making. is he, is he wearing, um, a, a blue Jersey? <laughs> is he playing uh, for the Auckland blues or is he playing for the Brumbies? The ACP Brumbies. I don't think Damon Brumbies Murphy jersey. has, has read that situation and gone, oh, Sapsford's actually a Kiwi. Mate, um, I don't, I think you're going a bit too hard on this. I look, I, I, I hear the point you're making. 
I don't think we can make the claim though, which maybe you're not intending to say, that Murphy's gone, oh, it's a Kiwi team, so therefore, like, no, uh, no, no, that's be not, careful of that's not exactly what, what I'm saying. saying. I'm just saying that there is, it seems, as we were saying before, that there's this inherent quick uh, second thought by referees that the New Zealand teams are better in facets than Australian teams. Sure. So situations sure. like yeah. this, if reversed, if it's the New Zealand team, the side who's, of the Kiwi team, yeah, yeah, who's over the top, he blows yep. a penalty to the Brumbies in that situation because they're over the top. They've won the jackal. Mm-hmm. He's now blown the penalty against the Brumbies in this situation and says that he didn't deserve to go for the ball in that situation. Which my question is, what else could Sapsford do to show that he had won that breakdown? On his feet, mm-hmm. hands on the ball, ball's not being made available to him, and he's still getting penalised. That's the frustration. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on from this conversation because I agree with a lot of what you said, but we also do need to keep on going mm-hmm. because I think we've reached our allotted 20 minutes of whinging about the referee for this game. Um, and we do need to jump now into really, and I mean this genuinely, the highlight of the Australian performances across the weekend because um, they actually got the win. If the Brumbies had been able to hold on, they would have definitely topped this, um, was the Waratahs' victory. So the Waratahs, came away against the Highlanders in, well, in New Zealand, 32 to 20 victors in Dunedin. And um, I think it's the first time since 2015 that they've won in New Zealand and something like the first time since 2004 or five that they've... I think it was 2014 that they've won in Dunedin. In 2015 since we've won in New Zealand against New Zealand opposition. Yeah, thank you. Something like that. Something or in that ballpark. So either way, it was um, kind of just a very rare experience for like all of these Waratahs players basically um, to get a victory over in New Zealand, particularly against the Highlanders. Um, and it, the manner of the victory was quite quite convincing as well. Well, the Highlanders actually scored a try right on full time that the Waratahs mm. in some ways allowed by getting a penalty in the 81st minute and going doing, taking the quick tap and going for the bonus point and not kicking it out. <clears throat> um, which they then allowed them to score. So you take seven <laughs> points off, it's 13-32. 13-32, yeah. Um, was it 13-30? Would a blooper beal will come to you? 13-30? Anyway, I'm just remembering my childhood advertisements right there. Um, so this, uh, it, it's a really interesting one because I thought that the Waratahs started well faded off at the tail end of the first, well, at the um, start of the second half and then came back to the stronger team without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, let's talk about the Sam Gilbert red card. That was basically a disgusting red card and he deserves to see a fair bit of time out of the game for that one. Do you agree, disagree, want to moderate yeah, that? Th- th- uh, agree wholeheartedly. He had, a, mm. he had a, an opportunity in that tackle to pull out of it. He lifts Michael Hooper, so he... For those who haven't seen it, he drives Michael Hooper out of the breakdown. Um, the ball's moved on, so it's not even a uh, a contest for the ball at that point. Lifts Michael Hooper up. He uh, Through the process, he lifts Michael Hooper up. Um, Hooper spins, and then he drops him from a height. Hooper lands on his head and shoulder. It's a red card. There's an instance where he he's driven Michael Hooper through the breakdown. Mm. He goes to lift him and then sort of misses his contact and at that point he could pull out of it he yeah, chooses easily. to continue through it and relatches onto hooper's yep. leg lifts yep. him at that point yep. so that's the issue that we're currently seeing i think in this that 
there was an opportunity for him to pull out of that. Once Hooper's away from the breakdown and the contact no longer needs to happen, he chooses to continue through with it, lifts him, twists him, <clears throat> and drops him on his head. Yeah, one of the best parts about this win for me is that this is a win without Izzy Parisi, Will Harrison, Harry Johnson-Holmes, Jed Holloway, or Lockie Swinton. You had um, Charlie Gamble was meant to not be playing, and then Raboni Warren Vosiako got pulled right before the game. Um, so he was on the bench. You had Bell on the bench too. You had a lot Ned of... Ned Hannigan best... on the bench. No, Ned Hannigan. He, you know, let's talk about him in due course. Um, but this was just a match where they'd rested a lot of players to keep them fresh for the quarterfinal, which at this point is likely to be against the Brumbies down in Canberra. And it was an opportunity for those players to get a rest, and yet the Tars still came away with a genuinely convincing victory. Exactly, exactly. Um, it was in some ways going into this game, a lot of people had had written off this Waratahs team once they had announced that they had rested some of their key players, bringing players off the bench. But And we've seen in, in previous weeks, they didn't start well. The, the mm. Highlanders started really strongly at the breakdown and the Waratahs were just off in that area, losing a lot of early possession, <clears throat> turning the ball over unnecessarily in contact. It was only from sort of the 15th minute uh, that they actually scored a try through... Uh, Will Harris breaks through and scores that try that the Waratahs all of a sudden sort of switched on and thought, okay, this is a this is a game we need to we need to switch on and actually and do better than we're currently doing. And from that point, they didn't look back. The things started to shift their way. They started to make contact in the meters at meters in the contact. They started to get their offloads going, um, and they they were they were playing as we've said all season, tar tough. Yep, yep, hundred percent agree. Um, so now we need to get into the obligatory 30 minutes talking about Ned Hannigan. So Ned Hannigan genuinely was great off the bench. If we ignore his very first involvement where he goes to ground and the ball gets stolen off him, um, you can honestly blame the um, supporting players for not clearing out over the top better. But he, he looked really good. I'd actually like him to be starting ahead of, say, Hugh Sinclair. Um, I think he's a better ball carrier than Sinclair. Um, yeah, he's gone so back having... at a very opportune point in the season, and it'll yeah. be interesting to see what selections come up next week. Uh, Hannigan has performed well off the bench, and Sinclair has had a good run in the season so far, but yeah. it'll be interesting yeah, to see good. next week with the Blues whether they do choose to bring Hannigan into that starting side and see if they can get some form running into the finals. Exactly, because he's a lot fresher. Um, actually, I don't even know. He might have been putting in a lot of minutes, minutes for his... Um... He Japanese was team. Division two rugby though, wasn't he? Div two, yeah. Um, I don't know the quality of the Div two Japanese comp particularly well. well I don't so. think it would be against New Zealand opposition. Like, <laughs> how many true. All Blacks were playing in this Highlanders team? Three or four? Um, I'd have to have a look at the team list, but I would have been. Let's just say yes. Smith, at least that's something. Yeah. Um, but it, look, okay. Getting through a few of the other points. Um, how did Marty Banks not have a penalty called against him for kicking the ball out of Jeremy Williams' <laughs> out, outstretched arm? Like Nick Berry, Nick Berry, sorry, mate, you got this one wrong. He definitely extends his stride to kick the ball out of his hand. How's that not a penalty try? Yeah, um, well, I mean, Nick Berry was out. sort of just trying to not go down that path and have another card in the game, I don't think. <clears throat> yeah, maybe, maybe. Because the TMO um, did try and show him and said, let's look at the actions of... Of yep. 22, I think he was playing, and he's like, no, 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 it's fine. Let's keep going. Yep. 
one of the one of the really interesting points is you look at the um the meters run by the both the Highlanders and the Waratahs. So Waratahs ran eight fifty nine meters to eight forty eight by the Highlanders. Okay, so sixteen hundred actually it's basically nineteen um hundred meters across the game from both teams combined. You go to the Brumbies and the Blues, and they had nine hundred meters. So basically uh, half. And then you go back again to the Hurricanes and the Rebels, and it's 800 meters. So it's just in that, incredible. In that Brumbies game, though, there was 15 minutes of scrum at the end of the first half. <laughs> there was. But my, my point is just how fast paces was and how yeah. willing both teams were to actually run the ball. But it wasn't um, reckless, helter-skelter. It was just good wide attacking play, making meters down the wide channels, um, and then recycling and going side to side. Uh, but side to side effectively not side to side and losing ground yeah which we've seen the Waratahs do last year go too Mm. wide too quickly uh this year they're going to width with purpose and uh Mark Nwanganidawasi and Dylan Dylan Peach on the wings look really really good and strong in contact with the ball so they're able to bust up those first tackles continue to make meters and get the offload to the player coming through most like most of the time Jake Gordon yeah, big credit to Nwanganituase as well. Over the last few weeks, his defence has really improved. He He's looking every bit a super rugby winger at this point in time. He's he's in good form. Um, and he's not making the glaring defensive errors that he was making earlier, well, in 2021. Um, and he made a couple of points earlier within the season. So he is he's doing really well. He's, yeah, he's made a few... Nicely. Yeah, he's made a few really good one-up tackles um, in broken play where... Um, Highlanders players got through the line and he's kind of the last line of defense and he, he stuck the tackles and did well. So I'm really happy to see his improvement. A uh, really good point though, is that we had 32 defenders beaten to 15 by the Highlanders, which just shows the um, the incisiveness of the running lines as well. And the, the aggression through the tackle is one of the parts that I think is particularly impressive for the Tars. It's one of the areas that the Tars are dominating and, and um, targeting this year, isn't it? That that mm. ability to bust the tackle and to keep the ball alive. Yep, yep. Um, look, so um, we're probably not going to go for the full 60 minutes. I really apologise on that one, um, everybody. Um, there but, are, there, uh, is one there, there are would... a few more points, don't worry. I was just going to say, we're not going to do the full 60, but I was pretty happy with that win. Mitch, what did you want to jump in and say? Uh, so one of the areas that I have noticed in the last two or three weeks through watching this Trans-Tasman crossover, I've been really impressed with Sky Sports coverage. Um, mm. And one of the areas that I think they're doing differently, and currently they're doing better than Stan Sport. I love Stan Sport. I think they're doing a fantastic job. But one area that Sky Sports is ahead of them at the moment is in the stats and the distribution of relevant statistics on the screen at key points in time. So one thing that I've noticed that Sky Sport do really well is when set piece comes up, so when there's a scrum, depending on where it's being played in the field, they pull up statistics on the screen to show each team's current statistics for that type of set piece. So they'll Mm -hmm. say that the Waratahs have a scrum now in the opposition 22. Uh, They score from this type of situation 14% of the time. They, if they have a line out on the five meter line of the opposition try line, they will pull up a statistic that says the Waratahs have scored six tries off this type of set piece in this area of the field this so far this season. Like those are little points of different 
uh, differentiation and um, insight into the game that we as average fans don't get to see. Yep. There's certain times that I see these stats come up that I, even as a rugby punter, didn't even weren't even aware that the Waratahs' key strength, we've scored this many tries off this type of set piece so far this season. We don't see that kind of statistic shown at Stan Sport at the moment. Um, I, I, I hate to have to call them out on this, but <clears throat> even in the Reds and Moana Pacifica game, Stan struggled to even have a, uh, the clock going. Uh, first, it <laughs> when, all when it you say down struggled, the it didn't work, yep. Yeah, it had the score, but it just said first half and second half. There was one point in the second half where there was two yellow cards dished out to Moana Pacifica. On our group chat, someone didn't had missed a few minutes, gone to the bathroom or whatever, come back and a second yellow card's dished out. There wasn't a graphic on the screen to show that there was already one card. And so they were confused why there was only 13 players on the field at that point. Um, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> technical difficulty, I, I, I grant that for Stan Sport. Sean Maloney did say something in the 50th minute around acknowledging the clock wasn't working and that they were working on it. Didn't come back, but um, that point aside, it's just one area that we're not seeing in the stand coverage at the moment. They're not bringing up these statistics. They're not sort of bringing the fan into the game and giving them that insight that differentiates rugby coverage from the other platforms. Yep. <clears throat> One of the other areas I really enjoyed as a fan too was when they go to TMO protocol or they're looking at high contact, they will bring mm. up on the screen the framework that the referee is using. Was yep. there high contact? Was there foul play? Was there head on head? Like, is there mitigation? These are the questions that the referees are working through and asking themselves having it on the screen there is so accessible to fans to know what the process is we as hardcore rugby fans know the framework so where we've got that down pat but my wife who doesn't who's watching it with me can ask questions of me around that framework <clears throat> and sort of it's a conversation starter yeah as well. yeah i agree you want to you want to be offering things for both level of fan like some of the nerds like rev who just enjoy stats up the wazoo and then people that maybe aren't as um, regular a rugby watcher who who need to have the high tackle frameworks stepped out for them yep. or laid out so they see the flow chart or the progression of what's, what's happening here. Because it means that when there's conversations around um, why something is a red card or why mitigation takes it from a red to a yellow or a yellow to a penalty or so on and so forth, um, it, it just provides that clarity that makes fans feel, in my opinion, as though they are... Um, a part of and and know what's going on. So there's a level of buy-in or ownership yeah. within it. Like you feel a part of the experience because you understand what's happening rather than being confused. Um, there was an interesting, a, a funny point where with, I think it was the Tigers were playing at Leichhardt on yes. Friday night and um, another possum got into the commentator's box. <laughs> yes. So I don't know what the stand sport. I think it's the same possum. I would guess it probably is. He lives there. Um, he, he must live that there. That is like, his oh, home. Oh, there's rugby here now. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so mate, I, th I think we're pretty much done with this. We've yeah. spoken about the games a lot. Are you okay for us to quickly go through the matches coming up this weekend? And then yeah, the let's, room? let's go quickly through those and then we'll dive into the locker room. Cause there are some cool questions that have come in. So okay. let's, um, <clears throat> I'll run through these. So Tuesday night, we do have the postponement of the game from magic round between Moana Pacifica and the Western force. So that's being played on Tuesday night. At Mount Smart Stadium, 5.05pm. <coughs> Do get behind that and give the force your support and, and tune in there. Friday night, we, this is, and we will say, uh, apart from Tuesday night, the, Mo the Moana and Western Force 
play twice this week. But this is the last round of Super Rugby Pacific in its current format. So this is the last mm-hmm. round of the regular season. Next week, we move yep. into the playoffs. So Friday night, we have the Crusaders hosting the Reds at Orange Theorium Stadium, 5.35 kickoff there. Um, Saturday, we have four games on. Absolute cracker day. <clears throat> 1 p.m., Fiji and Drua hosting the Chiefs in Latoka at Churchill Park. We then have... I'll keep going. Me. So then you've got Moana versus the Brumbies, who are going to be playing at Mount Smart Stadium again at 5 p.m. Then the Waratahs versus the Blues at 7.45 at Leichhardt, which we'll be Beautiful. out at. I'm just checking. You're going to be there? I'm going to be there. Hopefully. Hopefully. Oh, that doesn't sound convincing to me. We'll talk afterwards um, <laughs> about what's going on. Uh, and then you have at 10 p.m. the Force playing the Hurricanes over at HBF Park in Perth, hence the later game time. Then on Sunday, you got the final match of the round and of the regular season with the Rebels up against the Highlanders um, at WMI Park in Melbourne at 2 p.m. So great afternoon game. Good to get the kids down to that one. So, look, lots of permutations that can still happen for getting into the top four or um, who they're going to be playing against in the quarterfinals. So why don't we now I will say one quick interesting thing for the Waratahs game and the Blues. So the Blues did play this week against the Brumbies in Canberra. From what I heard on Stan Sport, they're choosing to fly home today back to Auckland and will fly back to Sydney on Friday morning to play the Waratahs on Saturday evening. So a lot of travel this week for the Blues. Not sure why they're not choosing to just stay in Australia for the week, but interesting to see how that shapes up their preparation. And it wouldn't surprise me if they actually play a reduced team um, because they've guaranteed first spot. Nobody can catch them or knock them off first position. So in preparation for the finals, I would not be surprised to see significant changes within their starting team. And should the Waratahs beat the Blues at home, that means that they are the best team in Australian rugby at the moment because they've beaten both the Blues and the Crusaders. (laughs) All right. Why don't we head into the locker room, mate? Let's go. All right, time to enter the locker room now, and we'll uh, run through this quite quickly because my voice is dying, damn COVID. <laughs> but uh, this is a idea that my brother and I were talking about yesterday afternoon or yesterday evening after the Brumbies game, and I think it's got a bit of merit, so I wanted to suggest it on the podcast here. Get your thoughts on it, Ando. Um, mm-hmm. But he suggests that after a game, if a team thinks that they have been dudded by the ref by a call, that might have seen them lose that game, like we're talking about with this Brumbies situation. They have 48 hours to protest the score. that then gets put to the refing board with proof of why they think they were wrong. We have video evidence of the situation where the call was made and evidence of where in other situations or other games, the calls had gone different ways. Um, and then they, they put their case to let's say the judicial board and say, this is why we thought we were, were wronged in this situation. We've seen this, this, and this happened in the past. If they win that protest, the winning team doesn't get the full four points. They both share two points each. So he says like other sports, you get to protest, uh, not necessarily ball sports like football, or soccer, AFL, but in like individual sports like running or swimming, if you think that a player or a, a participant has done something illegally, you can challenge that that um, situation and they will review it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if it's deemed that that person has done something illegal, they get disqualified from the race. 
Yeah. So okay. he's suggesting that in this situation, say, it wouldn't just be like a call has happened in the fifth minute and you've said, you know, that shouldn't have been a red card. Like the Waratahs and Chiefs game <clears throat> earlier in the year, the Waratahs probably wouldn't bother um, going through this process in that game because it's what the fifth or sixth minute of the game. It's very hard to argue that you would have won the game had that call not been made. Um, yep. But in the Brumbies game, post-match and in the press conference, both Alan Alatoa and uh, Dan McKellar, sorry, just had a mind blank, both said that they thought that the referees, some of the calls went against them, which caused the yep. Yep. Uh, the score to not go the way that they would have thought. So yeah, sure. um, <clears throat> thoughts on this suggestion? Yeah, look, um, as a straight-off thing, I don't like it. Uh, not because I think it's a bad idea. I think the idea is somewhat like fairly well considered and everything. Um, but for me, one of the strengths of rugby is that um, the position of the referee is kept pretty sacrosanct. Um, and I really like that because it shows a level of, look, I, I don't want to put rugby on a pedestal, but just the ideas of respect, not talking back to the ref, not, not whinging about the ref during the game and stuff like that. I think um, I really like that within the game. And I just feel like this could lead to an undermining of the authority of the referee on the field. Yep. Um, but that's just a general thing. Uh, I, I kind of get it, but in, in so many other sports, you just, you just have to deal with it. And it just sets up these kind of, um, the, it creates storylines across seasons and different personalities and heroes and villains within the game that I think makes sport the spicy and entertaining thing that it is to, um, is to participate and follow and watch. Yep. So as much as I think the wrong call was made within this particular game, the Brumbies match that we're talking about, um, and I wish the Brumbies had won, it just means the next time Damon Murphy's refing a game, there'll be a few choice comments going his way. Um, <laughs> especially when he revisits Canberra, and so it should be. And to be honest, um, if if the referee board does deem that he's made a mistake, then he should get benched. He should. He well, should that's go that's one of the, that's another question um, that's come in. But one of the yeah. situations we currently find ourselves in, if the referee board gets involved and deems that there was a, a wrong decision made, <clears throat> there's an apology issued, which means nothing. It doesn't change the outcome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Um, I know New Zealand rugby last year was trying to mitigate this situa situation happening in their uh, Aotearoa competition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the ca captain's challenge. <clears throat> I personally think that this is a better situation or process than having that captain's challenge because it turns into a little bit of a farce. Um, just mm. to, I don't hate the idea. It, it is a bit of a process. It, we just potentially then don't see the situation arising like uh, the Lions series mm. with Rassi Erasmus releasing that video publicly. Yeah. Look, why don't we jump on now to some of the other questions? Um, I'm going to jump in because your voice is dying. So Brian Knight asks us, why do Rugby Australia do the fans at a service of charging so much for a new jersey when I can buy Brummies or Force Ones for under 100 bucks? I completely agree. Um, I want to buy the Indigenous jersey for the Waratahs, but I'm not willing to pay $160 bloody dollars to buy one jersey. So I honestly, tomorrow, I'm going to be buying the Brumbies Indigenous jersey because I like it a lot. It looks great. And it's $100. And with a friend's discount code, I can get it for $90. So I'm, I'm going to do that. It just it just makes sense to me. Um, and so it's, it's a huge disservice. Freaking make the clothing actually affordable and you'll get more people to wear it. Uh, Joe Elliott, which of the Tars Firehards should leave for another team and which team should they go to? For example, maybe Donaldson to the force. 
What do you think there, Mitch? It's a tough call at the moment uh, because Donaldson played 15 today for the Waratahs. Will Harrison played 15 for the majority of the season this year. Tane Edmed's the only one that's really <clears throat> been an out-and-out fly half all season. And the way he's playing at the moment, he's the only one that's coming off contract next year. So he's the only one that really would probably shift around. If I had to see one of them leave, at the moment, I, I, I could see the Waratahs retaining all three. Yeah, me too. With Will Harrison being a 15 and Donaldson and Edmed being a 10 option. Uh, if I had to say on one of them had yep. to go, <clears throat> I'd probably say Edmed for his development purposes. And I would like to see him go to maybe the Reds. Yeah, Reds for me. Because the Force have Pasatoa. They don't need another young fly half. And the Brum- and the Rebels have uh, Carter Gordon, who's going from strength to strength. At or the, the Brumbies. Too. Or the Brumbies for Edmed. Who have they got? Noah. Yeah, but after Noah, who have they got? Nobody. Um, so it's a question for the Reds if they um, want to start planning for life without Jock, which um, James O'Connor, which is really challenging, I know. Um, but with how injury prone he is, it may well be that he, um, Ed Med, or if, if somebody was to leave and go to the Reds, they'd have more opportunity. But let's keep on going. Don't have a huge amount of time. So Tim Foster, your bro again. Should a red card for a foul player? I just need to quickly... Okay, so should a red card for a pl- foul yeah, play like yeah. tackled in the air or kicked in the head be a red card for the rest of the g- game or 20 minutes for a head high yeah, tackle? Yeah, so I'm going to combine this point with a question that comes in further down by Nick Sharp. So Nick Sharp is still in two minds about whether an orange card is needed. Um, with the 20-minute red trial being discarded globally, there may be still room for this type of card or variable time yellow like in hockey to lessen the impact of high collisions they're cracking down on. Um, and he points again to the tip tackle on Hooper, how that should have been, that's obviously a red card. Um, and really that is foul and dangerous play. And I was actually in a way, when, when that occurred, I honestly was disappointed that the Highlanders were going to be getting a player back because that was needless and deliberate dangerous play that endangered another player. Um, whereas an accidental head clash in the act of committing in, in the act of doing a tackle in my mind, isn't the same level of foulness, if that's a word, well, it is a word. Um, but in this case, so I would actually, you know what, I'll put this to you. Do you think there needs to be an orange card and a red card? Keep the red card for what it traditionally has been dangerous foul play and an orange card for these accidental things that are trying to reduce head collisions. Look, I would love to say yes, that the orange card is needed and would love to see it, considering that they're going to be removing uh, the 20-minute red card next year from World Rugby. But realistically, it's not going to happen. What I think will actually <clears throat> will happen is the framework will change and they'll take into account the fault of the player or the intent of the player or the actions of the defender as well. Um, which isn't currently sort of being taken into account. We might start looking at things from at yellow instead of at red and working our way yeah. down from there for certain situations is probably the outcome we'll find, end up seeing so that these situations are <clears throat> are accidental head-on-head head or no intent on both players, like the defending player and the attacking player both at fault. We start at yellow and go down. And if it's yeah. a, an act of foul play, like uh, that tip tackle, we started mm. red and worked down. Yeah, sure. Yep. All right, let's go to Nathan Burns now. Talking about the Brumbies and Blues match, there's very clearly little between these sides and the majority. 
And for the majority of the game, the Brumbies were the much better side. They wanted it more, defended much better. And therefore, a penalty count that stands as it does doesn't add up. I will never bag referees, but it's clear that Damon... <laughs> I love it. I won't bag referees, but <laughs> it's clear that Damon Murphy is not up to the task of huge games like this. We've seen him employed before. All the while, one of the world's best is AR. So talking about Angus Gardner. Um, should the best refs be appointed to the best games? Well, yeah, obviously. Um, I think they should. And there might be some level of discussion about why Angus Gardner wasn't in the middle of the field. I don't um, think Angus is fully this fit. Match. Yeah, that's my that's I, I think that might be it. Have you heard anything well, about Well he had this? a back injury last year. He was out with and a, surgery. a long time, back, had back surgery on his back, yeah. came back towards the end of last year, and this year has only had one or two games. He's not doing any lower level refereeing either. So I wonder if he's just not quite at a point of being able to run around on the field. And just Particularly with and... the agility of the movement required. Yeah. Because um, when you're AR, you're just doing straight line running, which is a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so it may well be an ongoing issue. In general, though, Nathan, yes, the best refs should be appointed to the best games. Um, and whilst none of our comments about Damon Murphy are personal attacks, no. because he's probably a good bloke. Oh, um, he's probably yeah, he would be a probably a really nice guy. Yeah. Um, we just disagree with a bunch of the calls that he made, and I think that this was not a good game for him. And controversially, um, I thought Nick Berry had a great game in the yeah, Waratahs yep. Highlanders. Yep. I know there's a lot of hate for Nick Berry around the world, but I thought he had a great game. Yeah, we don't care about Razzie Erasmus's opinions though. So or South Africans. <laughs> That's not true, just most of them. <laughs> um, so, Jock Cudmore, how does Australia close out games? We used to be 60-minute teams. Now we're 75-minute teams. So, Tars and Rebels last week and Brummies this week. Rugby Ecology has excellent stats on trying to play an own half and how it leads to failure. What needs to change? Um, I'll make a couple of quick points on this. Mm. I thought the Brumbies and the Waratahs were excellent in terms of their kicking game and playing in the right parts of the field this week. Um, the Waratahs especially. So obviously we talked about the territory stats earlier for the Brumbies, but a lot of that came down to not their kicking game, but just um, the inability of them to clear their lines with the scrum pressure that they were under. Um, but when they had the opportunity, they were basically p- playing when they could in the right parts of the park. And Atar's contestable kicking game has come up leaps and bounds with Nwangi yeah. Tawase and Peach on the wings. And um, the referees allowing great. the Waratahs to have that caterpillar ruck. I don't, uh, when are they going to crack down on that? <laughs> Soon, hopefully soon. I really, I really hope that that changes. Or allowing the players to stand offside and block the locks coming yeah. through to charge down a kick. Like, like the Brumbies that's, do, That's yeah. obstruction. That's just, well, every team does it, mate. It's just blatant. The Brumbies do it well. They do. Um, so, look, what needs to change? I think it's a combination of fitness as a combination of experience. Um, I, th- I think that's it. Yeah, I mean, and... I think looking at the Brumbies game, and no disrespect to your mate Ryan Lonigan, he he is a great player, but had Nick White been on the field, I think he sees out that game a bit differently. Maybe. Probably maybe. puts it down into the 22, backs his ability but, a little bit more. <clears throat> but but at the same time, I mean, if, if they kick it away in that final minute and they score a try, we're arguing, well, why didn't you keep it in tight for like four or five hit-ups? Like, come on. Uh, part of part of it's just it didn't work out for them, so we're thinking, well, you should have done this instead. Mm. Um, okay, last couple of points, Kirando. Uh, well done on your fantasy on your 
um, Superbrew yep. tipping, mate. I'm, well I'm very jealous of you. Uh, I dare David Murphy to referee the club game in Canberra and see how he's received. I'm pretty sure he will not be allowed back into the territory for a little while. And um, Delboy jumps in, not just ACT. He, is, he was and always is not great when refereeing Aussie and Kiwi games. It's like he has in his mind that Kiwis are just better and can do no wrong. And he refers to that six first eight-man scrum where the Blues went backwards but got the penalty. I Yeah, that's the one I pointed out earlier in the pod as well um totally yeah. agree with you there del boy but we've already spoken about that so look what i personally want to finish on is an encouragement for all aussie rugby fans to be getting out to the games that they can get to on the weekend so we've got the rebels are going to be playing on sunday at home we've got the western force we've got the tars and we've got the Indrua, except obviously that's going to be in fiji that's in fiji so take friday um, off fly to fiji have a yep. weekend take the kids and get some good rugby under your belt. Not on us, though, mate. Um, our coffee donations don't coffee cover that at all. So, unfortunately, they mate, would cover one of us to go halfway. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. Not even that. Um, but make sure you get out and support your team. It's the last chance that um, you'll have within a regular round. And it may well be a pretty juicy quarterfinal matchup down at GIO Stadium between the Brumbies and the Waratahs for the first um, first round of the quarterfinals. So, that, that could be a really good game to get down to, too. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll, we're going to hopefully try and get there for it. So we'll be there as well next week at New South Wales to fill the hill yep. at Leichhardt Oval. So if you can get there, do come and say hi. It'll be great. All right. Your voice is like about to pack it in. So let's finish yep. up, mate. It's been fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Have a wonderful week and I'll catch you later. Bye. Bye.